Good morning. Hi, Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the book of Exodus, and I have to confess uh, from the start here, I'm a little bit nervous about covering this passage today, um, but it is me. a type <laughs> It is a type of passage that is present in a number of places, and I think it would be easy to skip over this, but I know that a lot of people often come to me. Uh, in fact, one person recently, uh, had we had a discussion about passages like this, and so I want to at least make an attempt to kind of talk through this and see what it is that we can learn from this and gain from this and what kind of perspective we might have when we come to difficult passages like we're going to uh, run into today, where we're in Exodus 23, verses 20 through 25, where we read this. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I have prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he is my representative, and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you are careful to obey him, follow all my instructions, then I will be an enemy of your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, so you may live there, and I will destroy them completely. You must not worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. You must serve only the Lord your God. If you do, I will bless you with food and water, and I will protect you from illness. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like I said, this is a, a difficult passage, and it doesn't seem to be consistent, uh, at least in first reading. It feels like it's not consistent with uh, the God of mercy and, and grace that we see in so many places, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as, as well. And I have to confess that I've done a lot of wrestling through passages like this, and I don't know that I have definitive answers. Certainly, I, actually, I know I don't have definitive answers, but I have some leanings and some directions that I've taken that I, I think might be helpful to some people. And, and one of those things is that, first of all, there is a kind of warfare language that is used in the Old Testament. You can you can think of this sort of like uh, the way, you know, when a mafia don says, you know, uh, he sleeps with the fishes, you know, that's kind of a language of understatement. Uh, when you're dealing with the WWE, you know, I'm going to destroy you and your children and all that, like, it, there's a, it's a language of overstatement. The language of, of warfare uh, in the ancient times, in the Old Testament times, was, was very much a language of overstatement. And, and I'm not just trying to soften the blow here, but I think we see direct evidence of this within the Old Testament text itself. For instance, God talks about utterly destroying these Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites and Amorites and all of that. And yet God seems to have no intention of actually doing that. King David, for instance, had Canaanites, Philistines, who were part of his mighty men group. Uh, King David uh, was held accountable later on for the killing of, or the murder of Uriah, who was a Hittite, one of these people that God's saying he's going to utterly destroy. And then we also have, in amongst the heroes of the faith, we have Ruth and Rahab, who are heroes of the faith, and ancestors of King David and Jesus himself. And these are part of people who are marked for destruction, apparently. Well, I think it gives evidence that the warfare language of the Old Testament is kind of like the WWE. It is a language built with overstatement. Well, uh, let me back up a step uh, and just say that why would God be so concerned about these, these other gods? Is God just jealous? Is God just petty? We see this incredible evidence of 
uh, temple prostitution, uh, 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 terrible atrocities committed against uh, neighboring peoples, and even just the simple practice, widespread practice of child sacrifice, that people would sacrifice their child, sacrifice especially their firstborn child, in order to appease the dark and angry gods so that their lives would go well. And, and this is something that the the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, is is so much against. But ideas have consequences. And so God needed to free them from the these false gods and, and the, the problems that they would experience with them, because inevitably they would end up, the Israelites would end up following these other gods. This becomes kind of like the singular problem, the singular, above all other things, the singular fault of the Israelites is they kept worshiping other gods. It led to the fall of Solomon. It led to the division of the kingdom. It led to their captivity in Babylon. And so and, uh, you know, when we had talked about this a, a few devotionals ago, that God had said to Abraham, uh, and back in Genesis 15, 6, God had said to Abraham that there would be a time of 400 years when his descendants, Abraham's descendants, would live as captives, as slaves. And he says the reason why God was going to allow that was because the sin of the Amorites, one of the people mentioned here, the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fullness. The idea was that there was still hope for them. There was still time for them. God was still working for them, but there would be a time when they would get reach perhaps a point of no return and God would send judgment upon them and would use Israel to be that judgment, just as God would later on use Assyria as judgment against Israel or, or Babylon as judgment against Israel. So, um, and, and lastly, uh, kind of talking about this idea that it's more about the religion than it is about the people and the consequences, the, the, the terrible consequences of these, these uh, other faiths. Um, it says that they're not to make treaties here. It doesn't say they're not to make covenants. And I think the difference here is a treaty um, is a compromise. It leaves the other people as they are. The covenant is where they're entering into a relationship, not just with you as a nation, but they're entering into a relationship with God. We see this, uh, for instance, with the Gibeonites who make a covenant with the Israelites. And so there is a change of, of faith as well. And so a treaty would just leave the religion in place. A covenant would begin to transform their society. So and, and one final thing before I turn it over to you, Dave, the one limitation here is this is under the leadership of God's angel. This, these, this passage and passages like it have often been used as justification for holy wars at uh, individuals' uh, behest rather than uh, under the leadership of a divine uh, of, of the divine angel. In, in any case, um, this is not supposed to be something where we decide for ourselves that we on God's behalf are going to do these things. This was um, Israel being instructed and led directly by God, which is not a condition that uh, has been replicated since. So in any case, uh, God's warning here turns out to be true that they uh, that they do end up fraternizing with and end up um, uh, giving into these other faiths. And I guess one principle for us to think about with that is that I think often in dealing with the world, we often like to overestimate our own abilities, our own faithfulness. And we imagine that we're going to enter into situations where we are going to be the person influencing the other people. And sometimes that is the case. But I think sometimes, and maybe even more often than we would like to admit, the influence goes the other way. Especially if we're starting from a place of compromise, it's very easy for the tables to get turned and for the world to influence us rather than for us to influence the world. So those are some things I think about when I deal with a difficult passage like this. Uh, again, I don't have 
I definitely don't have definitive answers, but those are some of the leanings that I and, and gleanings that I've gained as I've wrestled with this over time. Dave, I'm wondering what you see here. Well, I want to pick up on a lot of the great points you made. I think uh, the first one, I'm going to start with that piece about, you know, hey, they're following the angel of the Lord, right? Not their own inclinations. Uh, and I think that one of the most dangerous pieces, when you take it out of context, uh, is this promise that he says, I, you know, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. And I think there's a lot of people, Christians, I mean, just a lot of people who have taken that and said, yeah, and okay, God, go get them. Right. And we see God as the muscle behind our prejudices and our demands and our desires and, uh, you know, our, our will to power. And I think that 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 taking that out of context is is so dangerous and so wrong. But it actually right in the very sentence, he says, um, uh, be careful to obey him following all my instructions. That's the 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 kind of proviso then I will be an enemy to your enemies. And the reason is not because then God's going to change and join us and say, okay, all right, now that you're doing that, what I like, I'll do what you like. I'll go kill the people you don't like. No, what he's saying is if you follow the spirit of the Lord and if you obey all of the instructions in the word of the Lord, then your enemies will be transformed to be my enemies, right? It's we who change, not God. And so that we're going to end up being reframing who who is it actually that's our our, our enemy versus versus not, uh, and that God then is still saying I'll be the one who's going to go ahead and fight. I'm going to do this. I'm not now releasing you to go do it. And I think that being able to kind of parse that out is first first important. God's not listening to our instructions. He's asking us or demanding that we listen to His instructions. Second thing I'd say, this maybe goes to your very last point. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about uh, is it, it First Corinthians. I was a youth pastor, so this is a passage I know. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three, um, which says, "Do not be deceived. Uh, uh, bad company corrupts good character." And uh, you know, that's actually a quote that Paul is doing, I think, from a Greek poet, um, Meander, I think, or something like Meander. Anyways, it, it's a, it was a famous line that Paul was invoking, but he's basically saying, "Hey, this is really real. This is true." Um, and, you know, a, a maxim that I, I've heard, you know, kind of more, more contemporary maxim is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're right. We have this idea that, oh, I'm going to go and hang around with all these people who don't share my values and all that. And I'll be a really good influence on them. And the reality probably is, as you stated, no, they'll probably be a really good influence on you or a really bad influence on you. They'll probably influence you more than you'll influence them. And I think that we overestimate what we can do as an individual but we underestimate what we can do as a community. And that in fact, I think that the, what's really transformational is not the person that I am, but it's as you and I, John, we go together into a space and people can see then the way that we treat each other, the way we resolve conflicts, the way that we kind of navigate misunderstandings, just the way that we support each other in times of difficulty and grief. It, it's in the context of our relationship that people can actually see the love and power of God. So. I think that you're right to point out that's what this passage is about. He's saying, hey, these people in these other nations, you think you're going to go and like influence them? No, that's not what's going to happen, friends. They are going to influence you. And as you said, the rest of the Old Testament is really playing out the reality of exactly that warning. So, but I, I really like the point you made. And, and maybe I just, because for time, I'm going to try to wrap it up here if I can. But the, what God is against is not these individuals from all these other places. In fact, the promise to Abraham, you were citing the promise to Abraham uh, about the 400 years where I thought you were going to go with that is 
that Abraham also said that you would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Well, hold it here. How is it then that he's sending him to destroy these people? No, what he's trying to do is liberate these people because they are taken captive by dehumanizing evil ideologies. And so God is sending Israel in to say, hey, first of all, you can't become like them. But second of all, we need to free them. So I'm not against any of these people, which is why Ruth and, and uh, you know, all, all these other folks that you mentioned and more, some of these people came from these other tribes. No, they are clearly you know, valued and, and, and then welcomed to the community of God because God's not against the individuals. He's against these ideologies that are against those individuals. And, and he's saying, hey, we don't want to be like it. And I will say that in our age, I think one of the things that we've done very well in our current age is we've, we've sought to acknowledge the dignity of all people. I think one of the mistakes that we've made is, is, is claiming that then all cultures are equally valuable. All cultures are equally virtuous. I think the fact is every culture has good and evil woven right into it, both. And each culture shows off healthy and beautiful things. And each culture is, is, is a, ends up being a container for some really hideous things. And that they're not all equal, right? Kind of uh, in the end, that all equals out. No, there are some that are in fact more consistent with life and God's kingdom and the way that we were created to be, and some that are less. And, and that, in fact, what God is trying to do is liberate the people in these countries from those cultures, the cultures that are oppressing them. And I think we've got to be really careful about saying, well, my culture is the right one. No, 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 no. First, we've got to do the work of saying, how is my culture oppressing us? How What's evil in our own culture? And being able to acknowledge that. Uh, but then realize that our goal can't simply be to preserve every culture as it is, but in fact, to see each person precious because they're created in the image of God. I think those are the, the things that I, that I pull out of this passage. Well, John, will you close us a prayer today? I would love to. Our good and gracious God, your ways are far above our own. And we pray that, Lord, not only would we seek understanding, but we would seek to remember that you are a trustworthy God, that you have demonstrated your love and grace over and over to countless generations. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with your grace and mercy and insight and wisdom with a desire to join you in liberating the world from these captive ideologies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.